Welcome to Her American Story, a podcast where first and second generation American women share their stories about growing up in the United States. I'm your host, Jazz Bean. To learn more about my guests, visit HerAmericanStory.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at HerAMStory. Feedback, would you like to be on the show? Send me an email, HerAmericanStory at gmail.com. I've got another great story for you today, so let's get started. Hi, and welcome to Her American Story. Today, we have Dr. Hashimi with us. Hello. And we're going to start off by having her tell us a little bit about herself. Sure. Well, I'm glad to be on, and um, thanks for the chance to have a conversation. So my name is Nadia Hashimi. I was born in New York and grew up in the New York, New Jersey area. My parents are Afghans who immigrated from the country in the early 1970s, economic migrants, so to speak, and came here for looking for a better opportunity for a different kind of future. Their life journey was somewhat affected by the situation in Afghanistan, which meant that, you know, we couldn't travel back. So I grew up in here, but also with the understanding that, you know, life could have been very, very different because uh, we were watching very closely what was happening back home, so to speak. I became a pediatrician and moved from the tri-state area down to Maryland um, with my husband, who's also a physician, and have been living here. Um, I took a bit of a detour from medicine after a year of working when I finished my training and started writing novels. So I started writing novels that stem from the story of Afghans, of the Afghan culture, of the diaspora. And I write novels now for adults and for children, as well as getting involved with a lot of community organizations, nonprofits, advocacy, and a bit of politics on this side. That is a lot of stuff. (laughs) Now tell me, um, where did you grow up in the United States? Like, where did you kind of spend most of your your journey? Sure. So Northern New Jersey, I grew up mostly in Bergen County. When I was in seventh grade, my family moved to Orange County, New York, which is about half of an hour uh, north from there and about an hour and a half outside of New York City. And uh, we did that because my parents bought a convenience store, a deli. And so from the time that I was 12, I grew up working in the deli, making sandwiches, making pots of coffee, um, getting newspapers ready, and uh, getting to know everybody in town. It's one of those like really pretty, quaint, idyllic towns in upstate New York with apple orchards and dairy farms. And we knew everybody in town because we were that corner store. Um, How was the transition kind of going from a more busy, bustling place to upstate New York? You know, I don't know if I really felt it because I was I was young at that point and I couldn't be part of the bustle. So um, but my father, um, it was more of a transition for the family because up until that time, my father had had fried chicken stores in uh, New York City. That was sort of like the thing for Afghan immigrants um, during the early 80s. Afghans found out that they could kind of, you know, take on a fried chicken store. They started working with one another and learning the ropes. And so my father ran uh, fried chicken stores in different areas of New York City. Um, When we moved out of the city, he was commuting from New Jersey, which was a grueling commute. And so the the real biggest change was that we were, you know, close to close to where my dad was working, where my mom was working, close to the family business. Um, but also that the commute was not there anymore. So we had a lot more time with the family, which was nice. And I, I think looking back um, to have my dad commuting that way, uh, we gained so much just by him being with us. 
Oh, I can imagine. Um, how diverse was it where you were in upstate New York? Not very diverse. And so, you know, part of part of my journey, I think, is that I grew up in areas that maybe weren't very diverse, but felt welcoming. I didn't really feel like an outsider. I think partially that was because, you know, looking at us, people would often ask me, you know, where's your family from? And they just wouldn't have a clue. Even when I told them, you know, my family's from Afghanistan, people at that time did not have any reference, uh, any context for what that meant. What is Afghanistan? Where is it? I mean, people would even ask me what continent it was on. Um, There just wasn't a lot of information the only person that that I remember in my in my high school years who actually had something to say when I said Afghanistan was uh, one of my high school friends' father, and he was Dutch, and uh, and he said Afghanistan. Oh, you guys have the best weed because he had been one of those who had traveled down the hippie trail in his youth and had gone down there. And so he had spent some time, um, you know, dabbling and enjoying, but otherwise people didn't really know. And so all of that changed, you know, later when I was in, uh, when I was in medical school in New York city during nine 11, all of a sudden the world became very, very much aware of where Afghanistan was. But until then the lack of diversity didn't really impact me all that much because people thought I was Greek. They thought I was Hispanic. I mean, I could pass for a lot of different identities. And how did you find you connected with others? Um, did you have much, in, you know, in terms of family uh, where you lived or was it just your immediate family? And then you know, how, how did you find that you connected with the community? We have, like I call it my big fat Afghan family. We're big and we're a lot of people and we like music and we like to get together and we like to eat. And so my weekends growing up, we were not alone. We weren't lonely. We have, I mean, I have a ton of cousins around me. And so, you know, whatever might be happening in the outside world, we also had our culture, which was very, very much alive and vibrant and enriched our lives and we did that in a shared space and in a way that was very seamless with our American lives, too. It was just all part and parcel, it all kind of packaged together. And I never had to think about, you know, waking up and being Afghan one day or being American another day. It all blended together. Um, so I had a lot of family in the area, um, including my cousin who lived across the street from me growing up um, in Warwick, New York, because our families jointly owned the delicatessen, the the convenience store. So we spent a lot of time together. Um, and that that was that was nice because we never really felt like we were the only ones, although we realized that, you know, the only the only other Afghans were all related to us. We were all family. Now what was it like going away for for your studies and and medical school? So I went to Brandeis University, which is just outside of Boston, and it was about a four and a half hour drive from Warwick to get there. So I was definitely away for college, but it was a, it was a very enlightening, a very rewarding college experience. And Brandeis is a campus that is diverse in its, in its own way. We were the minorities on campus as well. So I kind of fell in with the, the, the minority student organizations. Overwhelmingly, most of the students at Brandeis are uh, are Jewish. And there is a really strong sentiment of social justice on campus. So 
There's a lot of energy around, you know, cultural identity groups, around other kinds of student organizations. One of the things that that I helped organize at Brandeis, which I recently learned they're still doing this many years later, is was a program called Culture X because we found when I got there, I felt like, you know what? The Asian Student Association is doing one thing. The um, the Persian Club is doing something else. The Black Student Association was doing something else. And, and I thought it'd be really powerful to bring everybody together. And so we organized a night of um, all kinds of performances in a cultural celebration, um, including some fusion events. And we called it Culture X. So that was one of the experiences there that really taught me the importance of, you know, getting to know other cultures, of interfacing and, uh, and engaging through the arts was really powerful. Now, what made you decide to become a physician? <laughs> There's always that um, in, our, in our culture, you're either a doctor or an engineer or a disappointment is what they say, right? But but for me, you know, my parents did really love the idea of me becoming a physician, but I became a physician not just because of their encouragement or their push in that direction. I truly loved it. I sincerely loved learning about about physiology, about the way our bodies work, about the way disease can impact uh, an individual, about the way we can help fix that. I loved talking to people, getting to know them. I love the 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 aspect of like trying to pick apart a puzzle and trying to figure out, you know, what's wrong, what is happening and uh, and then mesh that disease process with some kind of solution and a treatment plan. So all of that, it made a lot of sense to me. I loved also working with children. I've always had a um, had a like a profound respect for what can be done in childhood and the impact that it has on a life, right? Because if you impact a child early on, that impact uh, is carried through their entire lives. And so that's the, that was the, the natural draw for me to go into pediatrics. Now in, in this process, how did you uh, meet your husband? So we had some friends in common. I was in New York doing my residency. He was in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, doing his residency in, in neurosurgery. We had some friends in common and uh, met at an event in New York City. And then we kind of kept in touch after that. And so over the distance, we, we you know got to know each other and took a bit of a leap because at the end of our training, it was at the end of his training, at the end of our, my training, we, we coincided. Um, and about, you know, a few days later on the 4th of July, you know, training ends like the end of June. And on the 4th of July of 2008, we decided to get, we, well, we didn't make the decision that day, but um, we had our wedding in New Jersey. And, uh, and then shortly after that, moved down to Maryland. And then ultimately, how did you get started writing? So that was really at my husband's encouragement. So like I just said, we hadn't really spent uh, a lot of time. We hadn't ever lived in the same town before we ended up, you know, getting engaged and getting married. So um, one of the things in our first year of marriage was getting to know one another. And we took a little getaway and uh, we were laying on a beach and I unpacked from my beach bag, uh, like a stack of books. And he looked at me and he was like, I thought we were going to like talk and hang out here. And I said, well, no, I, I'm really here for the reading too. And so he started to get to know just how much I loved reading, how much I love stories. And he suggested to me one day, he says, you know, you love these stories so much. Why don't you write one? Which I kind of blew off because I thought, you know, well, 
I, I have a day job and I'm, I'm a reader. I'm not a, a writer, but he had seen something in me and kind of knew that there was a passion that was in there. Um, so I really think it's important that we surround ourselves with people who, who not just believe in us, but can see, um, can see something in us that sometimes we might even doubt ourselves. Uh, and so I started, I started trying it out and I said, you know what, let me, let me see. Uh, what might happen. I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. And at that time I was working in the emergency room at Children's Hospital in Washington, DC. And so I was working on some days doing shifts. And then there were days that I was off. And on those days I would start kind of, you know, plugging away and, and start composing some stories and, uh, and thinking back on the books that I love that I appreciated and thinking about, you know, what, what kind of story would I write? I'm right about what, what was important to me? What was important to me were all of the issues that I saw wrapped up in the in the situation in Afghanistan, the situation that girls, that women were facing living under the Taliban and uh, years of conflict and poverty and, and all of this kind of creating this garden of, of hope, uh, manifestations of resilience, of grit, of triumph. And, uh, and I thought, you know, that's, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to write about. And I didn't know where it was going. So I just kind of, you know, started writing a story and then I was expecting at the same time, uh, and I kind of gave myself some deadlines. I said, okay, I'm going to finish the story before this baby is due. And I Googled around and figured out the next steps of the process, you know, writing query letters, finding an agent to represent me, and then having the agent pitch things to publishing houses. And it moved really quickly from there. And next thing you know, there was uh, a contract for a book. That's amazing. <laughs> how awesome. Um, now, how did motherhood kind of play into this? Because, um, you know, you didn't just write that one story. You've been writing many stories um, and being a physician. So how did how did that all work out for you? It was, I think a lot of the energies from one aspect of my life were kind of driving the others. They all kind of like feed into each other. Motherhood definitely made things more difficult, made writing more difficult, but it also almost made it more important because there's a, you know, I'd always worked with children. So I, I can't say that I, you know, all of a sudden realized how important it is that we take care of children and, and you know, help create a world for them that's um, that will meet their needs. But the the process of writing became almost more urgent for me because I really felt like, you know, we can tell stories that will help us connect with one another, that will teach our children how to connect with one another, that will leave in, leave some kind of mark on this world and leave some kind of legacy. And motherhood also informed my writing by helping me talk about the bonds, right? And so much of storytelling is describing the bonds between people, the bonds between family members and what drives some of these human behaviors. And uh, being fully into motherhood really enabled me to tap into a different, uh, a different well so that I could bring that to the process. And at the same time, you know, practicing, I was still practicing then working in the emergency room. And, and there again is a flood of human stories. There are people walking in with all kinds of, of problems, some of them manifesting in very, very strange ways and a lot of complexity behind each of them. You know, a girl coming in with stomach pain and, and then you, you do a little digging and do a little digging and you find out that, you know, that her parents are getting divorced and her father has moved out and, and, and what's happening in these, in these individual lives. So taking all of those energies together really actually helped me. A lot of inspiration. It sounds like <laughs> now, you know, it, 
I think when I, whenever I talk with folks that are doing um, multiple things, it always seems so seamless, like it just kind of came together. Um, but I know that there's probably a point in everyone's lives where they're thinking, you know, how how is it possible that you can get to that point and how do you make it um, what advice do you have, I guess, for others that are kind of just learning how to incorporate their own identities into their lives and they're kind of learning how to, to have a career and, and learning about who they are? What advice do you have for these people to kind of give them some hope and some motivation that there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Absolutely. I think it's so important because we're all very, very you know, three-dimensional people with not just, you don't wake up and have a single interest. You know, we all have many interests. And I know from so many physicians that I'm in touch with that they have interests in, you know, some of them are are visual artists. Some of them uh, work in in fashion design. Some of them on, on the side, you know, some of them like, you know, dabbling in investing or, or, you know, working on the boards of nonprofits or, you know, just getting on the ground and, and doing some civic engagement, knocking on doors and canvassing, whatever it may be, we all have different interests. And that's not just for physicians. I mean, that's for everyone. We're not just, um, you know, one track ponies. So we all have to find ways to balance these interests and our responsibilities, because there's also the the responsibilities that each of us carries on our shoulders. Um, you know, I do have to take care of my kids. I do have to. And I, uh, I think that there are ways that we tap into our personal resources, whether we set aside time to, you know, do some self-care, take care of our, um, take care of our own needs and, and make sure that we're, you know, replenishing ourselves in some way, tapping into the village. I get a lot of help and support from my parents and uh, from people who literally are helping me raise my children and helping me take care of our home. Um, I think it's also about setting priorities. You know, what's really important to you? Because once we can focus in on what's really, really important, um, then we can start carving out space for that in our lives and saying, you know, well, maybe I want to dedicate my Saturday mornings. I think it takes a lot of conscious planning. I don't think that it can happen without some thought and without some intentional action where you say to those around you as well that, listen, this stuff is really important to me. I want to explore this interest or I need some time to do this. And we have to have partners. We have to have partners who enable us to do that. Now, tell me about any recent projects or anything that you're currently working on. Uh, so right now I'm putting my efforts into um, a couple different places. I'm I'm feeling the crunch of this election upon us. And so uh, one of the things that has been really important to me is getting my own community in, engaged civically. And so I'm part of a group uh, that's called Afghans, Afghan Americans for Biden. And we are looking to, you know, not just galvanize movement towards uh, the candidate that we've chosen, but really the bigger picture is to get our community shifted from the mindset of being, you know, newly landed immigrants to Americans who are engaged and part of the process. 
And, you know, not just the saying goes that not to be, uh, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu, basically. So we really want to teach the next generation and teach ourselves how important it is and what the mechanisms are for becoming part of the decision-making process locally and at all levels of government. So that's what I've been working on. And that will be uh, a lot of what I'm doing between now and November 3rd. And I'm also working on getting out my next manuscript. I've got to work on that because there always has to be another story around the corner. Uh, my next book is coming out March of, of 2021, Sparks Like Stars. So I'm working on some of the marketing and, and connecting with people around that. After I get off this call, I'm doing a book club with a group in Montana. So there's lots that happens and it's a little bit of everything. And that's, that's just a juggle. <laughs> I think we all kind of have our own juggle. Uh, this is mine and And I'm lucky to be able to do it. Now, for listeners that want to kind of stay up to date on when your book's coming out and just um, what you're working on, where can they find you on social media? I'm on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, I do a bit on Twitter, but probably mostly on Instagram and Facebook as well. So not very hard to find. And there's lots of info. And uh, one of the things I like to do is include a lot of behind the stories information for people on Pinterest, which I link through my uh, my website as well. So there are lots and lots of different ways to find me. And I always really appreciate being found and being able to connect with anyone. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks again for listening. Join me next time for another exciting episode. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at HerAMStory. I love feedback. Send me an email at HerAmericanStory at gmail.com. Music, courtesy of my husband, Justin Rensing.